Hey, everybody. Happy Thursday on Twist. We have a treat for you. Might as well be Friday. Jason is joined by the general. That's right. Frank Slootman, the CEO of Snowflake, is here to drop some truth bombs like he does. They have an all-encompassing discussion about the layoffs happening in tech, slightly unexpected takes from uh, the general there, building a culture of A players, how to move the dial at your startup your or your company of any size, how to manage burnout, and a lot more. It is going to be an amazing conversation. Stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Masterclass. Learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. Get 15% off an annual membership to Masterclass at masterclass.com slash startups. Contra is a commission-free marketplace for freelancers and independent creators. Get $500 off your first hire at contra.com slash twist. And House of Macadamias is the next big health trend. Get 20% off your first purchase at houseofmacadamias.com slash twist by using the code twist20. All right, Frank Slootman's back with us. He's the CEO of Snowflake. It's a cloud-based database firm. You all know it. He joined in 2019, took it public in 2020. It's been on a tear, growing at a pace that uh, would make growth stocks um, feel slow. Yeah, right. In our industry, you have the standard companies trying to grow 10% a year. You growth stocks growing to 20. What is Snowflake growing at? Because we're in a recession here. Last time we talked, we were in a booming market. So that's going to be, I think, a focus of our discussion. Welcome back to the program, General Slootman. Thank you. Good to be back, Salute. Jason. Yeah. Um, what's, what's growth like now for Snowflake? And have you been hit by this uh, these crazy headwinds in the industry? Or does the mission continue and, and you're just battling it out hand-to-hand combat every day? What's it like well, in a down market we, for you? Yeah, we got to you know, sort of distinguish a little bit between the hysteria and the anxiety that sort of gets, uh, you know, gets trumped up in, in the media. And it's not a small thing because it does affect sentiment, uh, you know, out there. Come self-fulfilling uh, after, after a while, we talk ourselves into it. But, you know, things are, you know, not nearly as bad as it is portrayed out there. Um, you know, things are not euphoric, uh, obviously. I would maybe characterize it more as sober, rational, hard-nosed. Um, but that's not abnormal. I mean, if anything, this is more normal than, you know, what we've, uh, what we've had in the past. Uh, people behave that way. Um, you know, obviously, our growth becomes more a function of our scale because we, uh, you know, the, the the type of growth that we have is is not just uh, high; it's exceptionally high given the scale that we're already, you know, operating at. You know, over time, you know, gravity will set in, and you will gradually, you know, sort of, you know, given a few points a quarter um, to scale, and you know, that's certainly what people have been seeing from us. But uh, you know, we're still sort of defying gravity. In terms of the type of growth that we are uh, that we are reporting, so all right. Listen, when you were on the pod last time, it was when your book, this incredible book, came out. It was exactly a year ago. I said, "Hey, would you please come on a year from now?" You you, you said, "Sure," and here we are. Thank you for coming back. It was episode thirteen sixty two. The book, "Amp It Up: Leading for Hypergrowth by Raising Expectations, Increasing Urgency, and Elevating Intensity." You need to listen to that, founders, capital allocators catch up to this discussion because this discussion is going to build on our conversation but at that time market was literally at an all-time high things were going crazy or actually we just come off the peak um and so when we look at how people received your book which was kind of your hey listen here's my operating philosophy and you said if this is helpful to you great but by no means do i have all the answers but people were a little shook hey this guy's intense he says, bring energy, don't be a passenger, you got you got to be able to, uh, you know, drive here. Uh, and it was a little intense, and you demand excellence from people. The market collapses. And all of a sudden, everybody realizes in Silicon Valley, hey, maybe we weren't as focused as we needed to be, because our stocks are plummeting, we can't raise money at absurd valuations with very poor, very poor performance. We've got layers after layers of management. You've run a tight ship, you've demanded intensity and energy and enthusiasm from your teams. Let's face it, that's not what was going on in Silicon Valley. Even some of the great entrepreneurs like Mark Zuckerberg, his organization got fat and you must have seen the layoffs. You've seen Elon take Twitter from 13,000 people, including contractors down to a fraction of that and companies still operating great. 
And Zuckerberg said, we got to the point of having managers managing managers. I need everybody here to build. So watching this occur, um, what are your, your thoughts in terms on the management shift that you've seen in the broader Silicon Valley and in relation to your operating principles? Yeah, one, one, one of the most, you know, uh, absurd things is this whole litany of layoffs across tech because all of a sudden people go like, I'm, I'm ripping out 7% or 8% or 12%. And sometimes I do it several times. And I'm like, what were you doing all this time? You know, mm -hmm. because we're, we're pruning the tree, you know, every day, every week. That's part of a normal management discipline, right? You shouldn't need to ha have to do layoffs. I mean, layoffs usually are, are thought of as it's a complete reset to bring cost structures, you know, in line with, with revenue and sort of that. But that's not what this is about. They've basically, you know, ignored the issues in terms of you know a lot of costs building up in their structures and, and you, you you reference you know the culture now, i mean there are companies in silicon valley you know where you know taking somebody out of a job is just something that's not done because it's just too disturbing it's too confrontational it's too hard on the culture so we just don't do it so we we have to get to this scenario where all of a sudden we get a get out of jail free pass card and now we can do it. And people actually applaud us for doing it because, you know, in, in the climate that we're mm. in, people are viewing it as a net positive. But essentially, if they have allowed bad behavior to build up over a long period of time and now the reset comes. Um, I, I find it really odd because if, you, if you're managing an organization day to day, week to week, um, you shouldn't have to come to this, you know, unless there really was a need for a massive reset where demand completely collapses. and. The cost structure has been has to be brought in line. That's not what this is about. No. Mm. You should have, if you're running these companies, you should have been looking at each department and saying, "Hey, is this department optimized for the opportunity? And are these A players, or are some of these people just showing up at work hoping to keep their heads down and, and you know maybe low energy? Um, they should have been cutting people on some regular basis. You're using the word pruning, but people are got into a mindset." that companies were family companies were there was some culture here that we needed to maintain explain to the audience what maintaining that type of culture does to an organization versus maintaining a high performance culture does to an organization ultimately yeah well we we all know from our own families how dysfunctional you know they get but you know you can't fire your family unfortunately uh yeah <laughs> you no. have to live with them and you have to deal with them, and uh, that's that's everybody's cross to bear. But in in business, um, you know, it's not like that. It's much more like running a professional sports franchise, and it's about winning. And we're assembling, you know, the best people, you know, we know how. Um, so that uh, you know that that culture may be very pleasing to people and very reinsuring, but it's not a performance culture, you know, at all, because we're mm. tolerating mediocrity. Uh, we're tolerating tons of passengers, you know, people that are just on the ship, but not contributing much, uh, you know, of anything. And after a while, it becomes toxic to the culture overall. So it, it doesn't lead to, uh, you know, to, to good things. You know. If you just recruit talent, that's dangerous, you know, but if you re recruit talent with character, you got a chance to do something very, very special. All right. If you know basketball, you know that voice. That's Mike Krzyzewski, a.k.a. Coach K, the winningest coach in NCAA men's basketball history. And his point about recruiting, not just talent, but talent with character is so important. We all know that. Hard work and loyalty will beat raw talent 10 times out of 10. If you're a business leader, you can learn so much from Coach K in his new master class. I love the one by Chris Voss, you know, the, the hostage negotiator guy. Extraordinary. And, and what he does in negotiation is so important for business, whether you're negotiating a term sheet, a salary, a business deal. Paying for an unlimited master class subscription is a total no-brainer. And just think. That awesome insight from Coach K. It's 11 seconds. Already it's got you thinking, maybe you're journaling. How much would you learn and how much would your team learn if you did 10 minutes or an hour or two? Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get this for everybody in the company. This is a perfect gift. I highly recommend you check it out. Get unlimited access to every class. And as a Twist listener, you get 15% off an annual membership. Go to masterclass.com startups right now. That's masterclass.com startups 
for 15% off masterclass. What happens when somebody comes to you and says, General Slootman, I'm here, I'm at Snowflake. Am I a passenger? Or am I actually driving results here? And how do I know if I'm doing enough? Because there are people sometimes who get into an organization, especially big ones, and the machine allows them to do only so much. Um, and how do you know as an individual if you're making a big enough contribution? And then second part, how do you force that as an individual in an organization that you demand that you can make an impact? Well, if you have to ask the question, the answer is probably no, you're not. Okay. Um, when there's doubt, there's no doubt. There's a very easy way to settle you know, uh, the question. And uh, by the way, you got to demand more of yourself. You know, you come home on a Friday, Friday night, look in the mirror. Did it matter that I was here? Did I move the dial? Uh, was it important or was it sort of like, well, I can't in, in, the honest, in the honesty of my own mind really say with conviction that, you know, I, I really showed up and I mattered to the organization to what was happening here. And if, and by, by the way, that happens sometimes, you know, we don't have good weeks and we have better weeks and all that kind of stuff. But you keep asking the question and, and try to be brutally honest about, you know, how you really, really feel. And uh, that's holding yourself to, uh, you know, to a higher standard. Hell, I, I still do this to myself. And I'm, uh, there are weeks where I'm not happy with the answer, okay? But at least, you know, asking the question is, is what we have to do. And by the way, if you can, re you're going to feel really good about yourself in an organization in terms of your job security, in terms of your career potential. When you're feeling like, man, this was great. You know, I feel extremely, you know, happy with what I did this week. And that people become happier in their jobs and their careers because just sort of floating along, not even knowing, you know, whether you're measuring up or not is no way to live, you know. And, and you do this yourself. You force yourself to write, I don't know if you still do it, an email Monday morning to your team. Explain what you, yeah, yeah, explain to the team, explain to us what's in that email. When do you write it? How long is it? And what's the reaction to it from the team that you're saying, hey, it's Monday morning. Let's go. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting because I, I get a lot of questions about the layoffs that are going on. They're like, are we going to have layoffs? And, you know, I, I will mouth, I will sound off pretty hard uh, on topics like that. I, I pull no punches. I, I say exactly what I mean. And I also try to explain and educate people on, you know, why are these things happening? And then, you know, people very intently read these emails. And they go like, well, what can we do? And I'm like, okay, here's another question. Okay, and I'm going to get into mm. that one. Yeah, my messages are not that long. It may be half a page, sometimes a full page. Um, and it's, uh, it's unvarnished, unedited, unreviewed. It's typos and all, warts and all. It comes out. So people feel, okay, this is really coming directly uh, from him. You can tell by the style in which he writes yeah. that, uh, that nobody you know, uh, reviewed this. But um, I get a lot of messages in, in reply, which is, it sort of becomes your personal Twitter feed in a, in a way where I can, I can really, you know, poison people's minds directly, right? There's no layers, mm -hmm. there's no nothing. We're having a conversation and sometimes, uh, you know, I, I'm on the same topic three weeks in a row and then, you know, uh, and I, I always say, look, whatever was top of mind for me, for whatever reason, you know, I will talk about in terms of its broader consequences to the business. Why does it matter? Why do I want to educate people? Because I always try to, you know, sort of speak to the lowest common denominator because it's a technical topic. Sure, the engineers know 100 times more than I will, but the people in HR won't, right? So I need to explain mm. things in terms, you know, that they also can relate to. I've got to bring everybody along. I can't speak to just one audience, you know, so. You're defining reality at the start of every week, and you seem to like this weekly cadence. You seem to like a cadence that's days, and a week. I think your days are people's weeks, your weeks are people's months, your months are people's quarters or years. Talk about pace and why the intensity of pace uh, is important for the right person and for the organization. You know, organizations, uh, if you leave them to their own devices, they go slower and slower and slower, right? And uh, by the way, go into a California DMV if you want to know what I'm talking about, you know. <laughs> Uh, you, you spent a half a day doing the simplest uh, things. So you can very easily amp up the pace in your organization by just setting different expectations. I always call it the compression of timelines, you know, exactly like you just said. You know, why not tomorrow morning instead of next week? You know, next week might be very mm -hmm. comfortable, but how about being uncomfortable? By the way, what, what are you going to do between now and tomorrow morning that is that different from what you're going to do between now and next week? 
Um, but I sometimes, you know, uh, you, you may exaggerate and push it too hard. So what? And we can still come back to it the next day or the next day, right? You just, just amp up that pace and intensity and expectation and urgency. And that that's, takes on a life of its own. It's sort of a, an electrified and energized environment that the right people like to live in. Why do I have to wait a whole week? I'm losing interest in the topic. Okay. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, it's interesting. This level, uh, this type of intensity, it drives away people who are not seriously aligned with the mission of the company. And it absolutely engages people who are winners and who love the mission of the company. So by telling somebody, hey, listen, the, the standard answer to any CEO, any manager is two weeks. Hey, can we make a plan for this? Yeah, two weeks, two weeks. Everything's two weeks. I don't know where this came from. Maybe because you give two weeks notice when you, when you quit. Everything's two weeks. But you say, hey, maybe two days. And I love this point. If two days isn't enough, when we have that conversation, you'll say, hey, it wasn't enough, but here's what we got done. But it also can force people to make a better decision. I saw this up close and personal. I don't like to talk about it too much. But I spent a little time with Elon when he was taking over Twitter. And the intensity level that he brought in there and the number of meetings and the number of first principle conversations occurring one night, I'm just, I haven't talked about this at all, but I feel like with, with you, I can talk about it. I, I'm there at 11 o'clock at night. He's got three meetings left. And I'm like, I got to tap out, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm helping here, but you got three meetings left. We're going to be here till 1 a.m. It's a Tuesday. It's a Sunday. But that, and that's an extreme example of, of a takeover, which he's never done and has never, has been rarely done in the history of Silicon Valley. But just a little bit more pressure on the system can engage a bit of creativity. You talk about this, and, that, and that's your term, amping up, right? It, it, it does drive, it does change a person's mental uh, process, does it not? You know, the, the, the whole premise of that book is there's slack everywhere, okay? And, mm -hmm. and you can just beat the system, beat the slack out of it all day long in every meeting, every encounter, every conversation. You know, do it better, do it faster. Right. And it's like, what, what is the room up? I mean, you can find room up in almost anything, right? If you go look for it, but people sort of want to go, well, I just want to get it off my desk and move on to the next thing. I'm already tired. <laughs> yeah. Know? It's like, you want to do the opposite. You want to energize the conversation. You know, even the simplest conversation can be energized and tempo is, is important. Pace and tempo. Mm -hmm. People, high performers, they crave energy and pace and tempo. So exactly as you said. The culture starts to sort itself, you know, between the people that love it and the people that can't handle it. Well, that's just fine. You know, and, you know this is the thing I took from our conversation a year ago. I started implementing some of these. Uh, thank you. And I realized I have a certain pace and I was forgiving of people who didn't work at my pace. You know, I, I fit your pace. Like, hey, well, let, let's have this conversation right now or maybe get me something tonight or let's talk about it in the morning. I, I don't know. Two weeks to me is like that. You might as well be telling me like when I retire. And then I realized I was forgiving my whole career of people who didn't hit my pace. And I said, you know what? I'm too old. Enough of the BS. I told everybody who works for me, your job is to keep pace with me and these other people in the organization. We're here to run at this pace. If you don't want to run at this pace, there are other organizations for you. US Postal Service and everything in between. Pick. But we're running at this pace. My pace. I am a runner. I'm not a jogger. I'm not a lollygagger. If you want to be a lollygagger or a jogger, Please go somewhere else. And that's what got a lot of these big tech companies into trouble. So many companies have had a freeze on hiring this year. Basically, headcount is stagnant industry-wide, but you still need to find ways to grow and innovate. You know that. So check out Contra. It's a commission-free marketplace for freelance and independent creators. That's right. Commission-free. All you have to do is pay a simple SaaS fee, and there's no percentage-based upcharges when you hire someone. And on the other side of the marketplace, if you're a laid-off tech worker, you got all these skills, you got a lot of time. Well, Contra is an amazing platform for you. Creators on Contra keep a hundred percent of what they make, no fees, right? Compare that to other marketplaces that are taking your money. They specialize in design, engineering, social media, video, writing, and AI. If you need project-based work, you have to check out Contra. Let's say you wanted to learn about social media. Do you want one person to give you advice? And do you want to hire one person? Or would you rather try five different people in Q1? Narrow it down to the best three in Q2. And then maybe in Q3 and 4, 
You go down to one or two specialists who you like to work with best. That's the way to leverage the freelance community, but only pay for what you use. And some of the best people I know will only ever do freelance work. So get $500 off your first hire at contra.com slash twist. Think about how much you could get done with $500 worth of designer developer time right now. C-O-N-T-R-A.com slash twist. Contra.com slash twist right now to get five crisp hundies. One of the important things you talk about is the hand you're dealt, the elevator you get on. You know, some of these situations, you're going to get a set of cards they may be bad cards, and you got to play them as best you can. So let's talk about that aspect of it. One of the bad cards is this recession. And I really want to double click on something you said earlier, which is, hey, the media is kind of whipping this into a frenzy. And I've heard you talk uh, on other uh, media hits or pods about, uh, you know, people looking at the stock price, people getting obsessive. Let's talk a little bit about this media frenzy now that everything is a disaster, despite the fact that we have all these other data points that are coming in that, hey, everything's pretty great. It's the lowest unemployment in 50 years. I don't want to play macroeconomics here. What I want to play is inside of an organization. What is, impact is this having on people that every day, CNBC, and, and I'm not picking on them, New York Times, Washington Post, Fox, whoever, pick your, pick your poison, social media. People are getting like, it's almost like recession porn now. The obsession with recession is nuts. Yeah, it, it, it is. I mean, I, was, I saw Chuck Robbins uh, this morning, CEO of Cisco, and he, he's talking about, you know, a lot of the CEOs that are in jobs right now have lived through quite a few of these. And to them, you know, this is not earth shattering. Um, you know, we've got some rough seas, you know, confused sea state. That's just normal. That's just, you know, part of, you know, being in business where we're, we're going to have these kind of things and they come and they go. But we also have a workforce that is quite young that can't remember a situation like this. And they think the earth is, you know, is falling and, and you know, uh, terrible, terrible things are ahead. And of course, the, 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 the media don't help with this because they, they make us feel like this is extraordinary, you know, and 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 it, it's hyped up to levels where you know people are starting to lose their mind, which is why I get so many questions on it. But this is this is actually not abnormal. What is abnormal is is living with stratosphere, stratospheric valuations and all that. That's abnormal. But at the time mm -hmm. we were partying like it was, you know, two thousand twenty, right? Yeah, that wasn't normal. But hell, that was the new normal at the time, and now it isn't. So everything, everybody needs to take a chill pill and says, you know, just focus on your job. You know, we sell, we support, we make our customers successful. We're still going to be that tomorrow and next week and a year from now. Okay, nothing changes. This is, this is, this is not as extraordinary as it may, you know, come across to you. It's not. I mean, we need to be a little bit paternal because, again, we're dealing with people that have never lived through, you know, episodes like this. And we've seen some bad ones. I mean, the, the meltdown in 2000, the IPO market was shut for five years. Okay, you can't you can't even imagine that, right? And in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, was actually it came and it went. It was like a blip on the radar. You know, it was very interesting. But you know, having lived through those three, those are the three major ones of our lifetime. We, I, I, I was seven, sixteen, seventeen years old in nineteen eighty seven. So I don't know too many people who experienced that one in the workforce who are working now. But if you live through the three of them, man, dot com was like a stun grenade going off for like five years. I mean, just everybody was walking around like Omaha Beach, just ears ringing. What do I do? Like, it was shocking. But yeah, 2008, the media went crazy. The world is over. NASDAQ goes 5,000 to like 16, 1700. It felt like, oh my God, this could be a change in society, a permanent reset in society. And then three quarters later, we're like, everybody's back to business grinding. Is that how this, which, which one does this feel like? You know, More. my basic belief, you know, based on having been around way too many years is that, look, there, there, there is, people can only tolerate so much of this, okay? And by the way, if you, if you look at history going all the way back to the Civil War, you see that these episodes become, you know, fewer and shorter in duration, okay? So, mm -hmm. that's actually a, a very, very positive trend because you go way back in time, uh, and this was more frequent and it was more uh, severe. So these things, they come and they go, and that's because everything is moving faster now, right? And, and the adjustments come quicker. And I still remember uh, the first quarter of 2009, I mean, deals got stopped at the one-yard line by a CFO. No, we're not doing it. I don't care how many signatures you have. Boom. But then the next quarter, 
it eased up. And we didn't know at the time, God, how many more quarters are, of this are we going to have, right? Where yeah. the whole thing, the flywheel just comes to a standstill. But it didn't, you know, because people are naturally inclined, you know, they, they have animal instincts, they have, they want to move forward. It's not their natural state to be down. It is definitely uh, enthusiasm and energy is part of humanity. But when you have the press and social media coming at you, and whether you're opening TikTok, Twitter, you know, turning on your cable or reading news or newsletters, everybody is doing this uh, absolute obsession with recession and, and the layoffs. And I, I get it. It's a little bit shocking after this number of years, but it does blunt people's enthusiasm to come to work every day. And I think that is the job of leadership is to counter that. So how does one counter it? I think your email is a great one, which is, hey, we're just, I'm going to, you know, this is coming for me because, hey, the comma might be in the wrong place. I'm telling you what's on my mind. And what's on my mind is not obsessing about the recession. But do we talk, how many customers we talk to? What's in the last email? What's in the email before that? What are you talking about right now with your team? I talk about, you know, what are we trying to do? The companies that we're buying, why are we buying them? What are they going to bring to us? Um, you know, I talk about conversations that I had this week, you know, with customers. I mean, I was, you know, for example, the other week I was, I was in Palo Alto for, uh, that were like, I don't know, 40 or 50 CEOs, not from tech company, but really mainstream, uh, American enterprises. And, you know, they asked all kinds of interesting questions, you know, about analytics and data and all that. And I'm, I'm, I'm conveying that to them to give them context because you don't often get an audience like that, you know, and can get a sense of, you know, how people are viewing this from the top down. I'm the only person that has that kind of exposure. So I want to share that, you know, I'm, I'm bringing everybody along. It's always educational and contextualizing. What does this mean? Why does this matter? Right. Those kinds of questions, right. Give people a sense of, okay, you know, we're on the ship, we're moving along. What is the context to, to what we're trying to do? Why is this so important? So, you know, we're, we're always, I, I like to talk, and I talk a lot about culture, but not all the time, because it's sort of a topic after all, okay, we, we had enough of this for a couple of weeks. I mean, it can get a little self-referential with the culture posters yeah. on the wall, and the culture meetings, and the off-sites, and you're starting to think, like, is this some HR person creating work for themselves, or trying to justify their existence? Yeah. What's the great fight. culture? What is culture realized, and what is culture for General Slutman? You know, culture only happens when it gets prosecuted, meaning that when it gets called out. And when I say mm -hmm. when it gets called out, it gets called out to the positive. In other words, you know, we're we finding ourselves doing great stuff and we want to then amplify that and share that, you know, broadly. It's celebrating and recognizing. I mean, we have, we run special spiffs for, you know, landing particular accounts, especially in the global 2000. Ooh. Every time, every time we do that, it's like a celebration recognition event because you know, not all accounts are created equal. You know, some are, are really have a huge blast radius in terms of affecting everybody around them in their industry and, and so on. So we celebrate that. And oftentimes the, the, the account teams are like, wow, I didn't realize it was that important. But we do. But the opposite is even more important is, you know, when you, when you catch yourself doing things that are not good, you know, is your organization calling it out? You know, me calling it out means nothing. That's easy, right? But is your organization acting on, under its own power and saying, this is bullshit. We're not doing that. This is ah. not who we are. Okay. Now, now that's real cultural power when your organization becomes self-correcting, you know? So. The organization says, hey, listen, our culture is one of high energy. We have a pace. We've amped it up. We're moving too slow on this. So we're going to prosecute it here. Hey, let's pass judgment. Did we do our job? Did we close this acquisition? You become a little inquisitive here. We'll talk uh, about that in a minute. And, and, and more, right? It's like- yeah. Are we excited? Is this the best we can do? Okay. Can, mm. can we raise the bar? What would we do if we didn't have anything and we had no legacy, no history, no nothing? What would we do? Right. Let, let's have a, mm. let's have a Steve Jobs type of conversation, which like, can we envision something that we would never consider otherwise? Right. So that, that's culture when people are saying, no, 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 let's not just do an inch to the left and an inch to the right. You know, no, no, we, we want to be excited about it. I don't care how mundane the topic is that we're talking about. What is the right way to do this? challenge the team right that that's really strong culture otherwise you know it's it's becomes mundane and i want to get it off my desk i'm bored i need a cocktail yeah. that's the end it sucks the life out of an organization or you want to well, you want to do the opposite you want to inject life into the organization you know you hire for enthusiasm this is one of your secrets people don't know when you're interviewing people and you're doing your references 
my understanding is, I have my uh, sources here, Snowflake, you're hiring for enthusiasm and energy. How do you determine that? You do a reference check, you just say, hey, is this person high energy? You just say it straight like that? Well, um, I like to hire people who have a chip on their shoulder, um, which mm -hmm. not everybody likes because those people can be, you know, hard to deal with for some, but I, lo I love it. Somebody that mm. just has sort of unresolved issues. <laughs> yeah. Either Show me a I tell people that like, yeah. uh, are all these founders are, are they all deranged and, and do they all have issues? And I'm like, oh, only the successful ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, they, they have uh, something to prove and yeah, they, little they, energy. Can't, they can't suppress it. They just, they just have to pursue it. And it's whether it's their siblings or their parents or their high school math teacher or somebody that did them wrong. And like, I'm going to prove to you what I got. Okay. Mm. And I love betting on that more than anything else. If, if you're a perfectly balanced person, you don't have no reason to get out of bed in the morning. You know, that, that's not the type I'm attracted to, you know, so. I mean, the pursuit of excellence, capitalism, and the competitive spirit. And let's face it, you know, we're, thankfully, we're not fighting a bunch of wars. But, you know, this is, as you've said, you know, companies are the new warfare and you are being assaulted. You're under many battles from different fronts, from competitors you know. Or competitors you don't even know yet so be paranoid and you have to bring that energy you have to fight and if a, a rational person who is incredibly well balanced might say you know what would be nice i may be nice if i didn't have to uh get up for every day and, and have this energy so people who don't have the energy you don't need to do this for a living you don't need to be at a startup you don't need to be at a high performance organization so you can just have that candid discussion with them is that what you do when somebody doesn't have what it takes and you made uh, a mistake I, hiring know. It's, it's selecting. I've, I've had people say to me, uh, you know, they were there for two weeks and they're like, I can't take it anymore. The, the pace, the intensity, mm. you know, people have often said about often, you know, a few times they've said about me, God must be hell working for a guy like you, you know, you, 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 and I, and then, and then they point out, look, you know, his, his glass door rating is whatever, you know, in the nineties. So you have a high approval rating, even though people, you know, view you as being hard on people, but what I do is exactly what people want from me. This is what they want from me. They don't want to be kowtowed to. They don't want to have lattes and backgrounds. They want a successful experience, a successful company, something that mm. gets them up in the morning. That's really what they want. It's what people have always wanted. And then nothing has changed in that regard. I think this, you know, Silicon Valley is a little bit delusional that they cater, you know, to an expectation that I don't believe is real. You know, people want. What is that expectation? What is this expectation? What did what did Silicon Valley get wrong over the last twenty years? Where did this uh, mind yeah, virus start yeah, of entitlement? Pe people need to be pandered to. You know, what money and 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 amenities and and all these things. You know, what people want is they they want an opportunity to be great. They want an opportunity to be part of a great company. That's what they really want. So, are we going to give that to them? We're going to are we going to die trying giving mm -hmm. it to them? So they, they want to see that we behave as, as a management group and as a leadership team, that we, we leave it all in the field. Okay. That's what they want. And uh, that's uh, our you, job to, to provide that, you know. You, the, the, to provide that opportunity to be excellent. Yeah. And you, the question you ask a lot um, is, you know, hey, this end of the week thing, what did I get accomplished? But are you doing enough? Is there more we can do? This self-evaluation. And when people come to you as CEO, you are disappointed if they're not driving you and pushing you to do more unpack that relationship and how frustrating it can be when your reports and your team are not pushing you as ceo founder well that's that's the correct uh relationship if they're pushing me i mean if i have to push them we don't have the correct relationship because i basically have a lethargic organization that needs to be whipped up the hill mm. that's not going to work i mean if i have to rein them in and slow them down that's a much better relationship, right? Mm. Because otherwise, I mean, they might drive me off a cliff while I'm not looking. So, you know, I, it's like wild horses, you know, there, there's mm. a tremendous power here and I'm, I'm really trying to harness that power more than anything else, direct it, focus it. That's what you want, right? But if you, you have a pony that won't go or dog that won't hunt, and now we're in a world of hurt, you know, and that's, that's, a, that's a culture that doesn't operate, you know. One of the great questions you ask, in addition to like, hey, could we do this better? is what do you think what do you think somebody came to you it's a silly example they said hey here's a t-shirt boss what do you think your 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 question to them back on this whatever if it's a snowflake shirt or i don't know which company it was at i just i heard this anecdote was 
It's not what I think. What do you think? In the big long pause, personally, I think we could do better. And then the response is what? Well, you know, I said, look, if if you're not enthusiastic about this, then why would I be? And why, right? I mean, it's like luck. I mean, it, it starts with you think this is the greatest thing we've ever done in the world: t-shirts. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's not so much that the t-shirt matters; it's that everything matters. If you're going to do it, why not do it in a in a way that's you know energizing, intoxicating, makes us feel good, makes us smile? It's like, wow, this is cool. Um, as opposed to it's a so so. There's nothing worse than so so. Okay, it sucks mm -hmm. the life out of teams and organizations. Yeah. yeah, good enough. Okay, we got it done. We checked the box. Move it off our desk is the term you use. I, I came up with a device for this after our conversation, and I've been refining it. I, I sometimes ask people, like, on a scale of 1 to 10, how good is this? But you don't, don't give me an 8. Because everybody wants to give an 8. And I said, yeah. 8 is the coward score. Yep. Either it's a 7 or it's an eight and a half. I'll give you a half point if you want. I'm not giving you quarter points because you're going to do 7.75 and 8.25. Give me a seven, seven and a half. Give me a nine. Give me an eight, five. Let me tell you about House of Macadamias. Yes, this brand has a special place in my heart because the founders, Carmen and Brandon, well, they're Twist listeners. They've been listening to this podcast and they told me that they got inspired to start this company after listening to this very pod and reading my book, Angel. In fact, their first angel investment wound up hitting it big and they used the returns on that angel investment to start a nut business. These people are crazy. They're nuts. They started a macadamia nut business and it is delicious. You can see the graphics on the screen all nuts are not created equal peanuts almonds cashews walnuts those are you know they're good nuts but macadamias are the elite great nuts they're higher in omega-7s and that's been linked to fat loss and natural collagen they have more healthy fats they have less carbs and every product is vegan keto and paleo i love these i love the dark chocolate covered ones that's just me they have beautiful macadamia bars buy some of these keep them in your uh, desk drawer that's a healthy snack for you to have they also have some zesty spicy ones if you're having that kind of a day i like to do that if i have like a nice iced tea and I can uh, pair it with a zesty salsa dry roasted. So here is your call to action. Support a founder and have great macadamia nuts that are healthy and delicious. Houseofmacadamias.com slash twist. Houseofmacadamias.com slash twist. Right now, you get 20% off by using the promo code twist20. That's right. 20% off. Houseofmacadamias.com slash twist. How do people uh, assess their performance and how do you get them to kind of click into this? Or is it just some people have it, some people don't? It's that simple. It, 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 you know, quantifying it is hard because it's 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 really a, a visceral sense, right? I always mm. say, look, if it's if it's not hell yes, it's hell no. Okay, mm. so let let's break the tie here. We know when there's doubt, there's no doubt. So we push ourselves to a high conviction mode, you know. And then, by the way, it's really hard to be high conviction all day because we're critical thinkers, and then we start finding out oh, well, things that are not right about us. So driving towards high conviction is a really important mental posture you know to have when you're hiring people same thing it needs to be high conviction higher as opposed to you know i'm just you know f slamming bodies here um it's really important that every hire gets looked like is this somebody that we're super excited about or we're just are we're just trying to fill the uh you know the open position you can't just fill an open position you can't it has to be a high conviction hire the whole team goes like god we have to we have to have this person now we're feeling good about what we're doing. The problem is, you know, and, and you saw this happening during the pandemic, and this is why we're having layoffs in tech all over the place. We start slamming bodies. I mean, a lot of the companies doubled in headcount during the pandemic, doubled. I don't even know what these people are doing, okay? And and so it's like, okay, and now we're saying like, well, they weren't all good. No, of course not. You can't hire at that pace and have all high conviction hires. It's impossible, you know? You did, though. You went fast. There was a time period, I think you added like a thousand people in a year. Did you make mistakes? How did you refine your process? Obviously, it's not the same as adding 10,000 people, but it's three people a day, including weekends and holidays. How did yeah, you do absolutely. during that period? How would you grade yourself? Could you have yeah. done better? Yeah. And, and we absolutely make mistakes. Okay. Mm. And, you're, you're, and by the way, the, the question is, how many mistakes are you making? Is it one in 10? Mm. Is it two in 10? Is it mm. five in 10? And, and so, not, so the question becomes... But the, the whole thing is, okay, are you going to correct your mistakes? I mean, I don't have a problem making mistakes. I have a problem ignoring them and not calling them out, right? If, if, mm -hmm. Because 
Yeah. After a while, when you make mistakes and you have to clean up your messes, it's much more work to clean up your messes than to try and do it right the first time. Take more time, you know, to make this decision as opposed to I'm going to do it and now I have to fix it later, right? Because that's, that's, that's a complete drag. We make mistakes. I can tell you, if I, if I look at our, uh, our attrition percentages, voluntary versus involuntary, and there's a gray zone in there because, you know, sometimes, you know, uh, voluntary really is involuntary because people are self-selecting and, and things of that sort. You know, we know that we're missing the mark between one and two out of 10 hires. I got to be honest, General. One in five, if you make a mistake, I think it's acceptable as long as you push the button and you prune the tree in a reasonable amount of time. Because people, some people interview great. Some people come in and they think they can do it and they can't or life randomness, right? I, you know, I see some organizations, they get 50 50. Uh, you know, that's, that's a sign of a problem. Eh? It's a super level of inefficiency. But one of the things you talk about is um, the culture of kind of busyness and shoot and then aim. Maybe looking at how doctors and the healthcare system work they know what the treatments are but they spend you know a lot of time asking you questions diagnosing you talk to us about the equivalent in business and how you train people or in all honesty retrain people to maybe be more thoughtful yeah one of the things we uh you know we do in business and you know i i one of my pet peeves is that i think people learn this in, in business school those of us you know who went to business school they are very reflexive you know i've seen this before this is what we need to do right mm -hmm. boom 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 we spend 90 percent of our time you know on the solution not on understanding uh the problem obviously if you don't understand the problem whatever you try to do is going to be wrong so it really behooves you to really spend time on do we understand this problem? What are all the possible explanations for what's going on here, right? I mean, for example, in, in Silicon Valley, you know, what do they do when, you know, sales are not ramping? What do they do? They're going to replace the VP of sales. <laughs> are there other <laughs> possible explanations why sales aren't hmm. ramping? Yeah, it, interesting. I wonder what it could be if customers don't want the product. Oh, yes. it's the VP of sales. It can't yep. possibly be the product. And then another VP of sales and then another VP of sales. Why? Because oh. that's not the problem. Your product sucks. Okay, that's the problem. Yeah. So and in Silicon Valley, that unpack that a minute because this is, I, you know, being an investor in companies, I, I'm on board sometimes, and the founders are the product people. And then there's this sales team in some building somewhere in a boiler room who are not at the board meeting. And it seems like they're always up and they're always the problem. And okay, flip, flip, flip. And then I see other organizations where I'll be candid, like maybe this VP of sales does not feel particularly inspiring to me, but the phone's ringing off the hook and we're up and to the right and things are expanding and landing and lighthouse customers. What's this propensity to always blame the sales team versus the product team? Well, the product's kind of untouchable, right? Um, because it's the founders, it's the, it's the golden child. It's what the investors invested in. They're sitting around the table and it's like, Christ, this product is is no good. I mean, that's that's a conversation. That's like facing your demons. That's Oof. like being intellectually honest now, right? It's like I'd rather go for an explanation that uh, you know is easier to fix. I'm just going to flip out a VP of sales and find a better one, and we'll be off to the races. That's that's the that's the explanation we want, but that may not be the explanation that is correct. And obviously, you know. By the way, we, we see this in Silicon Valley all the time, right? I mean, they, they also start you know hiring reams of salespeople when they can't even make a single salesperson productive now why would you do that because you have an undying belief that you know it's 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 marketable it's sellable well we don't even know that yet okay why don't, why don't we prove that to ourselves before we start ramping up here you know yeah the the 12th salesperson if the first 11 are not ringing the bell it's not going to suddenly ring the bell 12 times there could be a leaky yeah. bucky here the product could need some iteration and uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, the right thing to do is to just ask the VPs, hey, be candid. But sometimes the, the sales folks are in some way diminished, but I, we should look at them, I think you'll agree, as our early warning system. We should look at them as our research department, our customer research, because they get the objections. But sometimes there's a culture I find where the salespeople either get blocked by management or the product people, they don't. They don't get listened to when they have the product feedback. Is no. that a trend you see? And how do you correct for it? 
Here, here's the thing, right? If if the product that you have requires a brilliant salesperson, you're already in trouble because there aren't very many brilliant salespeople in the world. Okay, that's not a scalable model. So you want a product to be marketable by, you know, every Tom, Dick, and Harry you can hire off the street in every random city, you know, in the United States. That's a model that we can invest in, right? Mm. Uh, but product people, you know, and, and founders are often, you know, very visionary, very articulate. They can sell this thing. They can't. Mm. Okay, but can ah. the average person off the street do it? Whole different question. Well, mm. I can do it, so therefore you should be able to do it. No, actually not, right? Because if it's that hard to sell, I mean, we're going to run into a ton of friction trying to scale this business. And you know, the number one criteria that I look at in companies is velocity. Is that the, the, the truth is in the velocity of the business. If there is velocity, I don't care what, what the conversation is. There's something good happening here, okay? Because this thing is ripping, you know, almost almost without us trying. When you don't have velocity, I don't care how good your story is. There is a problem here, you know, okay? And we need to unpack this, your favorite term, and, and completely look at why is this happening? Why are we running into all this friction, right? So the, That's the, the grind. That's the that grind. Would, yeah. But uh, look, you know, I, I always say, you know, what, what, what's worse than… Uh, than, than selling zero customers, it's selling a few customers because that gives you hope. That makes you think you actually have a you have viability when you don't. When you have zero customers, you can put a bullet into it and move on. That's much better. Yeah, you don't have this false hope. It, it could have been a, a really charismatic salesperson or a customer who is frisky and likes to try a lot of different things, and it, that's not true bar market pull. What you are describing is the market pulling the product out of you. You know, they're calling you, you give them one email, they're like, yeah, we're looking for that. We need that. Oh, data? Yeah, we got a lot of data. How do we manage it? Let's talk about managing burnout. We're getting toward the end of our hour here. Uh, and I want to be respectful of your time. I know you got to go talk to customers. I'm assuming we get off this call. You're talking to customers, but you're buying more companies. So I want to hit those things. But I also want to talk about burnout. You watch Bob Iger, he quit, put somebody in charge. He goes out on a bow for 10 months, gets back in the seat. Maybe talk a little bit about burnout because everybody in the company wants to talk about burnout, this, burnout, that. Well, how do you look at burnout? I've had burnout uh, and I didn't realize it at the time because you never had it. You don't know how to recognize it. You recognize it in hindsight, you know, when you sort of you regain your, uh, your energy and your enthusiasm and all these things that you need. Uh, and then when you lose that, uh, you just want to get away. Okay. And then mm. that, that, that's how, you know, you, you know, you, you have burnout and, uh, nobody is immune, uh, you know, to it. But I, I, I just learned important lessons, you know, from it. It's like, how do you sustain your, you know, your, your level of effort, you know, over a long period of time? Because in these kinds of jobs, you can burn yourself out real easily because it's like, you know, uh, it, it, it's just so uncompromising and so unyielding. If I don't do this and if I don't do that, and you travel to every city and every country, and after a while, it's like there, there's no more to give, right? And you do need Tank's to- empty. Yeah, you need to have a pace that is sustainable. You need to have a mental model, you know, where you can sustain yourself over time. And unfortunately, uh, we, we tend to not learn that easily or early on in, in life. It's tough and, and burnout happens to the best of us. Yeah. If you're not burning out, you're not pushing yourself hard enough is another way to look at it. It's a great signal. Um, and all of a sudden you, you hit yeah. a wall. But look, if you're running a marathon and you, you, you're starting off the first mile <laughs> redlining it, you don't know how to run a marathon, okay? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I took a note so. and I was being a little self-reflective. I think avoidance is a sign of burnout. When you're so burnt out that you're like, oh God, there's six things I need to handle and you just don't handle them. As yeah. the CEO, and you previously would have been like, six things to handle. All right, I can triage these four. These are, I'm just going to pick a decision. And these two, I got to have some really thoughtful first principle discussions with my team, study some metrics, and really instead of 95% action, 5%, you know, uh, you know, diagnosis, I just got to flip that. I got to spend well, some time. But if you don't have the energy for it, you're avoiding it, you're burnt out. It's pretty obvious. Yeah, the, the thing about burnout is, I mean, we, we, you can't go to work every day just thinking about oh if we just do this you know we we grow this much or stock prices that those are things that you know that cannot sustain you it cannot okay mm. what can sustain you is when you're working on a very compelling vision you know of what you're trying to build 
because it's the creative muscle now. It's part of being something that is extraordinary. That that, that is that, that sort of nourishes the muscle, you know, and 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 the soul of doing this kind of work. If it's just about oh, we all want to be rich and famous, you, you can't keep that up. You you will burn out. Okay, um, so I really want to direct people to. This is so great what we're doing. Look at what this customer is doing. Look at this technology so that we're, we're really into the substance of what we're doing as opposed to how, how high is our stock price or people are sitting on their on their little spreadsheet trying to figure out how rich they are. That That's death, okay? Oh, that's, God, is it ever, man? That's a curse. Explain why. Well, because, you know, money is, is, a, is a demotivator, meaning that, you know, if it's there, it doesn't do anything for you. If it's not there, you get demotivated, right? So you can't nourish and, and provision drive with money. You can't. I mean, you can temporarily, you know, I mean, but, but you know, what does happen, you know, if somebody is, is, is not compensated correctly, they get angry because they figure like, you know, this is not fair, this is not right, and they become demotivated. This is why it's really important that, you know, we, we have really competitive compensation because it causes those kinds of situations. You don't want to have that. But if you give them more, it doesn't do anything for them. It really doesn't, you know. It, it, it really, it's not why people are doing it. Michael right. Jordan, you right. saw that documentary, I'm sure. You watched The Last Dance. I mean, talk about a miserable guy. You give him another, if you doubled his salary every year on the Bulls, triple it. Is that going to change anything about what he does? He came up with the most petty reasons to be competitive, to keep his performance at a high level. It was, I mean, to a point of dysfunction on this. I mean. Uh, and I don't even know after watching that, I, my theory is maybe it's just all a put on. Maybe he just likes to have this image of being so miserable <laughs> and it's actually, he's really a nice guy. Um, you ever have this instance in management where there are people in the organization who want to represent other people and their experience and they want to tell you everybody's burning out. Everybody has this problem. They want to be the back channel for everything. How do you, how do you handle that? These culture killing people, these, these, uh, what are you, hall monitors? Hall monitors. Yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm actually, I, I'm not sure that I even know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, yeah. Cause they don't even make it a day. I just been seeing this in some organizations where somebody says, Oh, you know, I got to talk about this person. This person has a problem. That person has a problem. Uh, you know, a lot of times we're on the boards. Um, let's talk about playbooks. Let's talk about the signaling we get over time. You get a lot of VCs on your boards. Hey, we see a lot of things. We're on a lot of boards. We think we know everything, but we're not in the trenches. We're not talking to customers like you are. Um, and then there's first principle thinking. How do you know when to apply signaling things that, you know, you got a gut for? You talk to customers for 30 years. You're going to learn some things. And then when to just say, hey, let's just think like five-year-olds and do first principles. Yeah. You got you to. I mean, the, the thing is we, we sort of. You, you got to be like a five-year-old or a fifth grader, you know, pick one, you know, where you just bring a, a, a complete level of common sense to a conversation. You know, I, I was berating somebody earlier today about applying resources to a situation that was not yielding. And like, why on God's earth would you do that? You know, you need to stop and fix, you know, before you apply resources, right? You call a timeout and say, wait, 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 you know? Uh, but we're, 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 that, that's mindless. That is literally mindless, right? And, and what, what we want is to be mindful, you know, of the conversation. Let's just really embrace this conversation and just sort of, like you say, unpack it, right? What should we be doing? What is the right thing to do here? That's first principles. And that's just, those, those yield the best conversations. Um, and it's and being inquisitive, like, isn't it? Like as a leader, just ask a question or two and, and listen. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of common sense that, that is low-hanging fruit that we can, and, and, and teaching people to think for themselves. That's why I don't like playbooks, because they're mindless, okay? We're just executing the play, whether it makes any damn sense or not. No, we, we want to, and by the way, this is sort of, you know, we just came out of football season, right? I mean, you, you let the quarterback, you know, who's on the field looking at what he, he's seeing, what he's seeing, Right. And he's, he's going to have to make a call, or is it the guy on the sideline saying, you're going to run this play, no, no, no matter how boneheaded that play may be. It's different being on the field versus, you know, being on the sidelines, right? Yeah. So, it's, it's, common sense is not that common, unfortunately. So, you, got, you have to work on that, you know. A lot of companies have adopted something called trust and safety. Building a culture of trust, 
seems interesting. Okay, great. Yeah, trust is important. You've talked about it yourself uh, with customers inside the company. And then this concept of psychological safety. People need to feel safe at work. What do you think of this concept, trust and, and psychological safety as a, an operating principle for a company? I, th I think trust is super important, but th that is, it doesn't mean that it has a relationship with safety. You know, just because I trust you doesn't mean you're safe. I'm not safe. You know, I'm, I'm a high anxiety person. There's no safety between my ears whatsoever. Um, so, by the way, if I'm not safe, you're not safe either. <laughs> okay. Well, this no. is honest, right? So now we can build trust. What yeah. you just did by even unpacking that, you just literally neutered the entire uh, Silicon Valley operating principle for the last 10 or 20 years, which is, oh, we have to make people feel psychologically safe. None of us are safe. Somebody could create a competing product that's the 10th of the price and just totally undermine us. We have to be paranoid. You know, like that, that actually operating principle was the right principle. Psychological safety is the absolute wrong principle. The CEO could be fired yeah. by the board. The stock could plummet. Microsoft, Amazon, these people want to kill Snowflake. And it's, as you said, eh, nobody got fired for picking Microsoft, right? So you got to go in there and convince folks, hey, pick Snowflake over yeah. Microsoft. <laughs> Way I, the way I try to help people uh, with, with the safety thing, I said, look, you come home on Friday night and you knew you moved dials, okay? And that's safety. That's security, mm. okay? There will be a million people wanting to hire you. That's where your safety comes from. That is the only place where security comes from, okay? Everything else is make-believe. It's not true. No. It's your ability. It's your, right. your skill set. It's yep. your enthusiasm. It's what you've done. That's what makes you safe in the world. Build your skill. Build your skills. Uh, the peer group, the network, because they all know you and they're going to vouch for you. Okay. And and by the way, if, if for whatever reason you lost your job and God forbid a layoff, you get picked up so fast your head will spin. Okay. Because everybody knows who you are and they want you. Because drivers are hard to find and passengers are plentiful. You know. Yeah. Hey, you you made an observation about the purity of uh, consumption based pricing. Uh, on some hit, you would, you would, maybe it was on an earnings call. I'm not sure. A lot of people in the industry were like, "Hey, SaaS-based pricing per seat is brilliant." You know, like, "Hey, it's fair." But you seem to think that the the ultimate honesty is consumption-based pricing. Explain. Well, sort of like the way utility companies, you know, operate. Right? I mean, you you buy power and gas and water, and you pay for what you use. It's not a new model. Um, it's just in software, it's a new model because we'd be we've been selling use rights. Uh, whether you use it or not, you're going to pay. And I you know when I was uh, at, at ServiceNow for all these years, I always felt there was an inherent inequity between us as a vendor and the customer. A customer would often buy tons of licenses. They wouldn't even be using them yet. I'm like, this is not right. This is not equitable. And, um, you know, as, as consumption models started to come out, I, I was very, very attracted to that because like, this brings equitability into the relationship between the software vendor and, uh, and, and the software customer. And I do think it's, uh, I, I think the whole world of software will move to consumption. Uh, I mean, already, absolutely, oh, the, the, the public cloud vendors are already there. And then all the layers on top will be consumption-based. I, I still, I mean, we help companies become consumption-based because we're, we're a pure play expert in consumption-based uh, you know, business models. So people come and ask us, how does this work? How do you do this? Um, so, but it's, I, I love it because a customer, and in, in, in times like this, when, when the economy looks, looks challenging, a customer can say, hey, you know, uh, I can decide, you know, whether I fill up my tank every two days or I fill it up once a week, how much I consume, maybe I will not drive or I will drive or I won't drive. So you make all these decisions so you feel much safer, you know, with a platform mm. that is that yeah, way. You can trust platform. your vendor. Yeah. Hey, they're not screwing me. And that is, that's building that trust right there. Yep. Talk to me about acquisitions. We're going to wrap. I know you got to go. I know that you have well, battles to fight, well. but you've done, I, I, I know of at least eight or nine. What, yeah, what, we, uh, how do you do the culture thing? How do you pick the company? Because you've got a high culture. Not everybody shares this. We, we, we punt on a ton of deals because we don't think uh, we're compatible. That happens probably more often uh, than not. But to us, you know, I'm, I'm looking to accelerate our roadmap all the time. You can do that in many ways. You can, you can do that by straight line engineering, which is what most people do. 
Um, you can hire talent, you can buy talent, or you can buy whole companies. And there's, by the way, models in between that we have also employed where sometimes I want to hire somebody, I can't hire that person because that person wants to start a company. Then I go like, well, I want to have a majority interest in your company, <laughs> right? So, I mean, <laughs> we, we, we will go any way but Sunday, you know, and because the goal is always acceleration. We, we try to buy what we call stem cells that we don't have, Okay. Mm. Things that we can grow ourselves another body part from because we don't have it, but you have it. And we want that so that we can grow, you know, that, that part of the business and the technology platform around it. And because we're such, our, our technology landscape is so huge. There's so many disciplines and new, brand new disciplines, especially in AI and things like that, that we have to, you know, get into the stem cell games. So acquisitions are important, but most, if you've seen what we do. We don't buy businesses, you know, we, we buy talents first and we buy technology second, you know. Mm, that makes total sense. You think this AI thing is, oh, I mean, obviously, we've all been working on it for decades, but all of a sudden it's captured the public's excitement yeah. and it seems like organizations are like, you know what, maybe if the public is so excited, maybe we need them to let them play with this. Have you played with Chad GPT? Have you played with these things? Uh, what's the initiatives you have internal at Snowflake, and how do you look at it just writ large? Uh, is is it overhyped, underhyped, short term, long term? Well, there, there, there's, there's definitely going to be the the classic hype cycle, you know, on uh, on this sort of stuff. So we we get over the moon, and then uh, and then we lose our fascination with it, and then it starts to grow for real, and it becomes uh, really deployable, implementable, uh, real value. But the stuff that is very real that that we live with. Is machine learning, which you could describe as data-driven AI, and because we're about data, I mean, we drive a ton of AI from data, which is machine learning. I mean, we can predict things from data that are these are becoming mainstream enterprise business applications that that run every single night and produce demonstrable value, and uh, that's that is really really hot. It's very important. It's very mainstream. Um, so that's, that's sort of a subset of AI, if you will, that's not in the large language models and all that. But, you know, we're seeing now how large language models are connecting to Snowflake, okay, because they're referencing that as part of the data, you know, to, uh, you know, to build their query sets around, which is, which is interesting. And why not, right? Data is data, whether it's structured, semi-structured, unstructured. Um, so these, these, uh, these models will be referencing structured data like ours, you know. It feels like there's an emergence of a new profession, an individual, a skill set. We called it on the All In Pod, prompt engineering. Um, just the person, and it used to be people who would just write SQL queries in a really clever way. They kind of, sometimes they were developers, sometimes they were accountants, sometimes they were just business people who learned SQL. But there is going to be uh, some position, tell me if you think this is correct, where, hey, you got the data set, it's stored at Snowflake, great. Okay, now you're pointing some language model at that data set, but there needs to be somebody who's sitting there saying, hey, tell me about this. Okay, tell me about this group of customers, but, but take out this group. Okay, tell me about this group of customers during this period of time, and it's sort of segmenting things and, and knowing what questions to ask and knowing which data sets to use. Are people starting in your customer calls? And listen, this is what you do. You're on calls with all these customers all the time. Every time we do a, a discussion, you're like, I got to get off. I got to call with the customer. Are customers starting to talk about this yet? And what percentage yeah. of them are talking about it? And how are they talking about it? So here, here's the thing. Um, you know, for, for the last, I don't know how many decades, uh, we, we struggled just what, what I call reporting yesterday's news. I just want to come in in the morning and I want to have fresh dashboards and reports and sort of see what happened yesterday and, you know, then be able to, you know, slice and dice and pivot and do all these things and maybe extrapolate, you know, time series and, 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 and things of that sort. Um, we have broken the back of that set of problems with cloud architectures and, and things like Snowflake because of all the architectural changes that we've made. Now you can run these processes extremely fast. Uh, you know, the, the, the transfer of the data from transactional to analytical system, the transformations that they have to happen. Then the analytical processes and the populations of all the all the output vehicles and the machine uh, learning models need to run, the Tableau dashboards need to be populated, all that kind of stuff. That was really hard for a long time. Okay, now it's really really good. Technology is no longer the problem. You can really build provision. The stuff runs like a bat out of hell. But now people are saying, 
is that all there is? They literally asked that question. <laughs> is this all there is? <laughs> you push the rock to the top of the hill and they're just like, kick it down. I'm, I'm, Start I'm, over. I'm like, no. What because, do you got from me now? <laughs> the, the, the beginning is to, you know, understand the past. He says, but after that, it's about understanding your future. Okay. You're trying mm-hmm. to forecasting demand, supply chain management, what product grows where. I mean, during the pandemic, uh, inflation, uh, all these things became, you know, very, 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 very pressing. But, you know, so this is this is really, really, you know, important. That these, the, the, the predictive outcomes, I mean, they're so good, so powerful. Data doesn't have opinions. It is not anecdotal. It just says what it is, okay? And uh, I, I think it's, it's a much better way to, to run enterprises than relying on what I call anecdotal observation. You and I both do it. You know, we talk to mm-hmm. people, we read our email, we watch the news, and we form ourselves an opinion. That's anecdotal observation. Data doesn't watch the news, okay? <laughs> just, no. I think these AIs is. might start uh, including that as a factor, but who knows? It, this is clearly where this is going. Thank you for the hour, General Slootman. If you have not read the book, I want you to buy 10 copies right now. Amp it up. Give it to your team. Watch this podcast. Go back to episode 1362. You write your notes. Your team this weekend watches both episodes. You read the book, and then you, you come in Monday, and you amp it up at your organization. And you just take the energy level up to 11 and you don't accept mediocrity and uh, you may have to do some pruning. Sorry, if you listen to this podcast, you've now been infected with reality. General Slootman, thank you again for coming on this week in startups. I salute you. Yeah. And we'll see you next My time. Pleasure.